Hello everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Here's My Thing. My name is Philip, but all my friends and family, they call me PJ. Before we dive into the show, let me give you a little brief background about me. I was born and raised in Albany, Georgia. For those of you listening that don't know where that is, it's in southwest Georgia, about an hour and a half north of Tallahassee, Florida, about three hours south of Atlanta. My mother passed away when I was five years old, so my father raised me, my older brother, and my older sister as a single father. Now, growing up that way gave me a great appreciation of hard work, having to work for what you got. We never had a lot, but we had what we needed. And like a lot of people raised by single parents, I saw my father working every day, coming home, doing the cooking, homework, never complained one bit. He never asked to be a single parent. He just kind of handed it to him. He shouldered that burden, kept on trucking, and I owe a lot of my determination to watching him when I was growing up. He'll probably come up quite often during the show, but he passed away in February of this year from COVID, and naturally I miss him a lot. I'm married, and she's a beautiful woman, inside and out, and she helps guide me and keeps me grounded. Honestly, if it wasn't for her, there's no telling where I'd be. I owe her a lot, and I will never be able to repay what she's given me. Five kids. Yeah, yeah, five. What a household. Thankfully, they're all grown, doing their own thing. There was never a dull moment in the house. And those of you with multiple kids, y'all know what I mean. Now, this show... Just kind of my way of venting. I talk to the missus a lot, but she tells me quite often I get a little too animated at times, especially when it comes to politics. Now, I can talk to my mother-in-law, and we can talk for hours. And if the missus is around, you can just see her eyes glaze over like she'd care less. Eventually, she tells us to just hush and stop talking politics. So, you know, we do. I mean, I don't want to anger the wife. Y'all know what I mean, guys. So, I guess you could truly call me an independent. I tend not to think like everybody else on everything. Now, don't tell me wrong. I don't agree with someone on everything all the time. In other words, you may be a diehard conservative and talking about fiscal responsibility, and I'll probably be in agreement with you. On the other hand, you may be a diehard liberal talking about gay marriage, and I'm in agreement with you on that. But sometimes we'll just have to agree to disagree because my take and your take on any given subject is going to be different at some point. That's just life. Nobody agrees with everybody all the time. So now that you know a little bit about me, let's dive in. I'm sure, you know, some of this stuff's a couple of days old, but I'm sure y'all heard about Kamala Harris saying that disaster relief should be given out based on skin color. I mean, really? So some poor white family just had their house destroyed by Hurricane Ian, and they shouldn't get help right away because he's white? Come on. So the African-American family gets first dibs on relief money, even though they out-earn the white family by two times. It's just kind of identity politics and race and sex baiting that the modern Democrat Party is doing that's driving people away from the party. Now look, if I'd been alive in a voting age in 1960... I'd have voted for JFK. Hell, I voted for Clinton in 92. But today's Democrat Party is not them. 
Who really wants to be classified based on race? No one. If you have to classify people by color and decide who gets what by skin color only, by definition, you're a racist. Any financial help given out by the government, or anyone else for that matter, should be based on need and need alone. But here she is saying, again, that skin color alone is the determining factor on disaster assistance. Can you imagine if Ron DeSantis said that white families would be prioritized to receive state emergency funding before anyone else? All hell would break loose. Joy Reid would be jumping up and down on her desk on live TV to exclaim how much of a racist and bigot he was. Speaking of Joy Reid, I don't know if y'all heard, but DeSantis said in a press conference, and I'm paraphrasing, hey, don't come around these evacuated homes and try to take anything. We got cops patrolling, and oh yeah, we believe in the Second Amendment in Florida. You never know if the homeowner's armed. Holy crap. Joy Reid decided that DeSantis basically said only black and brown people are thieves, and to shoot one of them for looting your property is racist. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't care what skin color you have. If you come into my house or on my property to steal my possessions or harm my family, that's a risk you take. I wonder if Joy Reid just let people walk into her house and take whatever they wanted, not say a word, not do anything about it. Something tells me she wouldn't just stand there and let them. Like, oh, wait a minute, you left the 75-inch big screen. Hang on, let me get it. Nah, don't see it happening. But that's today's Democrat Party. Skin color first, everything else second. Speaking of blatant racism, Nancy Pelosi. I'm sure you've heard the soundbite of her saying that DeSantis should keep the migrants in Florida so they can pick the crops. Oh my God, can you see DeSantis saying, hey Joe, send more migrants, we got more oranges that need to be picked. The entire left wing would be pouncing and trying to put him down by any means necessary. But when it comes to Nancy, nothing but crickets from the media. No huffing, no puffing, no calls for apologies, no explanations. And they wonder why the American people are turning the media out. I mean, it's just such blatant bias. Now, today, read an article, Anthony Fauci. So he decides that maybe he could have done some things different when the pandemic started. So this is in the, the Hill. According to The Hill, Washington Post reporter Dan Diamond, he asked Fauci how might he have approached the pandemic a little bit you know, differently given what he knows now. And this is what Fauci says, quote, when I go back in the early months, I probably should have tried to be much, much more careful in getting the message to repeat the uncertainty of what we're going through. So he goes on in an article in he argues that a lot of his statements had been taken out of context. You know, you can't really take them out of context. But he says, quote, you have to be very careful. It's really unfortunate that that's the world in which we live and that it's a bunch of sound bites, sound bites that sometimes get cut in half and get misinterpreted. Someone could always make mischief by clipping out a few words. Now, I don't know about you, 
but I remember watching Fauci on you know different news programs, especially right around the vaccine, and he assured the American people that the vaccine would prevent infection. Now, of course, now we all know that's not true. You get the vaccine, you can still get COVID. It may not be as bad, but you can still get COVID and you can still pass it on to somebody else. So the vaccine is not a vaccine. It's a flu shot because the vaccine actually eradicates the disease or the virus that is trying that it was made to fight. So how do you take that out of context, you can't. But it's just another example of Fauci being Fauci and thinking that Fauci can't, you know, Fauci is not accountable for anything that he really says. Now, I don't really want to get into abortion on this episode because abortion in itself is pretty, pretty controversial and uh, pretty long subject. But I got to bring this up. So today, Biden sends out a tweet. And the tweet says, my dad used to say, Joey, don't compare me to the almighty. Compare me to the alternative. And here's the deal. Democrats want to codify a row. Republicans want a national ban on abortion. The choice is clear. So he is now telling you to compare him to Satan. Really? I mean, come on. Now, on the, on the abortion side of it, most Republicans, and I say most because you do have those, those diehard right-wingers that will tell you that abortion shouldn't be allowed under no circumstances. I'm not one of those. Most Republicans won't, you know, a ban after 15 weeks, 20 weeks, somewhere in there, that gives you plenty of time to decide as a woman if having that child is right for you, if you want to have the child, and all of that. Now, most Republicans, once again, they, they have the exceptions for rape, for incest, for the life of the mother. And then you look over on the left side, you, you look to Biden and, and Harris and Pelosi and AOC, and you, you look over there and they're literally saying abortion on demand up until birth. And then the, the providers, are, they, they get no exception for conscientious objection. That, that's, to me, that, that's... That's idiotic. I mean, so if a woman is given birth and she decides she don't want the kid, the doctor has to kill the baby and she's literally on the table in the stirrups pushing the baby out. So the doctor has to, but the baby's not born yet. It's not quite out of, of, of the womb. So the doctor has killed. No, that, that's just not right to me. Not right at all. So, like I said, I, I, I don't really want to get into the whole abortion topic today. I mean, if y'all want to hear about it, you know, shoot us an email and, you know, let me know, you know, where, where you stand and, and why, why you feel that way. 
And, you know, that email address is hmtpodcast at gmail.com. And, and, you know, maybe we'll get into it a little bit later. But I want I want to I want to get the the more silly items I guess I would say so you know gas prices the way they are and in you know here in in Georgia uh, gas prices are, are pretty pretty steady they're not really going down they're not really going up um, but they're still you know way above where they used to be. Um, almost a dollar a gallon more. So OPEC meets and decides that they're going to cut production by 2 million barrels a day. So what what is what does Joe Biden do? Joe Biden decides that he's going to release 10 million barrels from the oil reserve, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. But he's going to do that in November. Well, that's over a month. So what, what, what do you, you're not preventing anything. I mean, they're, they're cutting production right away. So whenever they cut production, what do you think gas prices are going to do? They're going to go up again. And the only reason here in Georgia that gas prices are staying where they're at pretty much is because Brian Kemp keeps extending out the, the tax cut or the tax suspension on gas. So that's 18 cent a gallon, something like that. So that's artificially keeping the prices down. But eventually he's going to reinstate that. And when he does, all of a sudden gas prices are going to jump by 20 cent a gallon. So the U.S. uses, on average, 11.9 million barrels of oil a day. 11.9. So Biden's going to release 10 million barrels in November. One, or not even a full day. Not even a full day's worth of oil. But he he acts like, and his administration acts like, that he's doing a whole lot to control gas prices. Well, he's not. I mean, all he's doing is, once again, lip service to the American people because most people don't don't know that you use more oil than what he's going to give out. I mean, really? You just sit back and think about it. He's going to release 10. We use 11.9. Doesn't make a whole bunch of sense. But the headline is Biden to release 10 million barrels of oil from the strategic reserve. Most people see that and they go, okay, well, he's trying to help. No, he's not. He's not doing anything other than raising the price of fuel once again. So, you got that. And, you know, I just wish that, I mean, yeah, now granted, Trump pissed off a lot of people. Excuse my language. But he did. He made a lot of people mad. But his policies 
were good for the country. You know, you see a lot of memes that, you know, people put up. And I'd rather have a mean tweet than three or four dollar gas. And if you're in California, it's five dollars. So that's how I vote. I vote on policy. I don't I don't vote on who is kind or who is the least offensive. I vote on policy. What policy is going to help me and my family? Because if your policies doesn't help me and my family, I don't want you in office. If your policies are to prioritize everybody by skin color, I don't want you in office. Why would I put you in office if you're going to say your race determines what help you get? Or your race determines if you get a job? Or your race determines if you get assistance from SNAP or TANF? or whatever else you need to apply for. That's stupid to me. If you can't, and and I get, you know, the midterms are coming up. You know, what do we got? 34 days, something like that before midterms. And, uh, you know, everyone's trying to say abortion's a big topic and this, that, or the other. And, and and I you know I I can kind of see you know people wanting, especially women you know because you know no I mean the government really doesn't have a right to tell you if you can or can't have an abortion that should be a personal decision and I get that, but somewhere somewhere in the line here on that you have to be human and say hey I'm carrying a human being, what really happens at this point, you know, but in the midterms. We really, y'all, people need to be thinking about how much those policies that Congress and the president put in, how bad do they affect you personally? They, I mean, let's take student loan debt. Student loan debt, they're, they're, they're forgiven however many millions of student loan why? You made the choice to go to college. You made the choice to get the loan. It's your responsibility. If I go out to a bank and I get a loan for $40,000 to go buy a car or I go buy a truck or whatever it is or do home improvements on my house or whatever the case may be, I have to pay that back. I can't go to the government and say, hey, I'd like to have this money back. I like to be forgiven of this loan because I had to have it to do whatever. Or I had to buy that car so I could get back and forth to work. I need to have that loan forgiven. It doesn't work that way. And it's the same way to me. It's the same way with college. You decided to go to college. You decided to be an engineer. Or you decided to go for criminal justice. Or you decided to go for whatever it is, psychology, whatever. That was your decision. And it was your decision to take on those loans of 60000 40000 however much it was. 
but you, now you want the loan forgiven because you can't pay back the loan? What about mom and dad who paid for their kid to go to college and they paid $40,000 because they sent them to the, the University of Georgia or Alabama or Georgia Tech or, or, or Stanford or, or wherever? Do they get any of their money back? No, they don't get nothing. So once again, you're playing politics. You're trying to buy votes. By saying, hey, we're going to forgive $20,000 worth of debt to select individuals. You know, I don't know if you, if you heard or not, but they, they decided that those that took out a private student loan, they're no, they're no longer eligible. Only those that went through the government are going to be eligible because they think that that'll pass the legal bar. Because all this is naturally going through the court system. You know, people are suing over it because it's, one, Biden doesn't have the power to do it. So, it, you know, I think it'll, it'll probably get struck down that he can't do it. That's why they haven't implemented it yet, because they know they're on shaky legal ground. But once again, it's part of the identity identity politics that, that, that the Democratic Party want to play they 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 just sit there and decide okay well we need votes here we need votes on the millennial side or we need votes on the 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 minority side you know black latino any minority let you know we can we can buy votes here, or we can say this, or we can say that, and it just doesn't you know that to me is not politics. Your policies don't work. That's why ninety five percent of the time I'm not going to vote for a Democrat. And as I said, I, I am an independent. I will vote for a Democrat. That's you know in, in my congressional district is Sanford Bishop. I don't have a problem voting for Sanford Bishop because he does good for our, our sorry, our congressional district. I don't have a problem voting for him. I have a problem voting for somebody who all they want to do is implement these policies that hurt this community that I live in and most communities across America. Because they don't deliver results at all. Now, here in Georgia, you know, Georgia used to be pretty good about um, giving you a, a credit for electric vehicles. So, you know, now you got this big major push of wanting to go electric. GM's done said that they're going to be completely electric by 2030. Ford is pretty much on that same route. But here in Georgia, coming up in the, the, the 2023 legislative session, they're going to be looking at a way to charge because they can't get it through the gasoline tax on an electric vehicle. They're going to be looking at a way to implement 
some kind of a tax, whether that be a vehicle miles driven tax of EMT, or there's a study going on to determine which way is better, where they charge you by kilowatt hour or VMT or any other way that they can get the, the tax money because they're not taxing gasoline with an electric vehicle. So instead, they're going to tax the power that you use or they're going to charge you, I guess, every year like an ad valorem tax on the miles that you drive that electric vehicle. Now, I, I did a little math. And for instance, a, a Tesla Model 3, it takes about 62 kilowatt hours to fully charge the, the battery in it. Now, 62 kilowatt hours, and of course, you're going to have to plug it in every, every day at your house or in a charging station or, or you know whatever. But if you buy one, of course, they give you the adapters and all that that you can charge at your house. So... 62 kilowatt hours times a month, you know, 30 days. That's 1,860 kilowatt hours a month. That's almost as much as you spend in your house as far as kilowatt hours in power. Most homes average right at 3,000 kilowatt hours, give or take. I mean, you know, of course, depending on how much you wash clothes or if you've got, uh, you know, a pool or, or something like that. But, uh, you know, barring, you know, high usage items, about 3,000 kilowatt hours is what you do. So at my electricity rate, I'm, I would pay $261 a month in power to charge my electric vehicle if it was a Model 3. Now, of course, when GM comes out with theirs or, you know, it, it may be a little different, but it's going to be about the same, I would imagine. Not only are they charging you for that, you're hooked up to a power grid that's not designed for it. They're pushing these electric vehicles and they don't even have the charging infrastructure to support it. So they want you to go out and buy a $40,000 electric vehicle, up your power bill $261 a month, And hope that the grid holds up. There's almost 80,000 people in Albany, Georgia. There's another 10,000 or so in Leesburg or Lee County, which is a suburb of, of Albany. And in the, the surrounding metro area, all total is probably around 150,000 people. So... If half of us in, in this metro area went out and bought an electric vehicle and we plugged it in every night, the power grid would probably fail because you're pulling so much power. I mean, let's go to Texas. They're using windmills or wind turbines that use electrical power from the power grid to turn. How ironic is that? California, rolling blackouts. 
but they're going to be, they banned the sale of gasoline vehicles by 2035. They can't even keep up with what they have now. But in 2035, you're not going to be able to buy a gasoline vehicle in California. Stupidity. Straight stupidity. But here in Georgia, they're going to figure out how to charge you for having an electric vehicle. Instead of incentivizing you to go out and buy one, they're figuring out a way to charge you for having one. I mean, how stupid is that? And that's what I what I mean in in you know my my intro is I'm gonna call out the people on the right and I'm gonna call out the people on the left because they both do stupid crap. And the stupid crap that they do affects me, affects you and your family. If you see something stupid in the news and I, you, you listen to this podcast and I don't mention it, by all means, please send me an email and let me know that I might have missed it. Because I'm going to be on here about 30 minutes at a, at a time talking about this stupid stuff. And if I miss something, please, by all means, bring it up. Now, everyone knows about Elon Musk and Twitter. If you don't, uh, you, you've probably been living under a rock. But there's an article in the New York Times, and it's, a, it's an opinion piece. And, you know, this guy um, named Kevin Roos, I believe is how you pronounce it. Anyway, the title of, of his opinion piece is, Elon Musk Twitter will be a wild ride. So in, in this little opinion piece, he goes through six predictions. <clears throat> Excuse me. Six predictions of what will happen when Elon buys Twitter because, you know, he's already said that he's, probably going to buy it. Um, and, you know, he, he originally proposed 54.20 a share. Anyway, so he, instead of going through the court in this case and all that good stuff, he's probably in, in going to end up buying Twitter. And if he does, you know, that that's, that's fine to me. I, I'm not on Twitter. So, you know, I don't have to worry about being – canceled or suspended or, or banned or anything like that because I, I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not, I'm not on Instagram. I, I don't do none of that. I don't get on social media. And the reason I don't get on social media is because I don't need some company telling me what I can or can't say. If I say something that's controversial, so be it. You know, but I, you know, I'm not out here advocating violence. I'm not out here telling people to go shoot people or go attack people or anything like that. So I, I don't need someone telling me, well, you got a controversial opinion, so we're not going to let you talk. So I don't even get on social media. But one of his predictions is he's going to clean the house. He's going to he's going to fire Parag Agrawal. I, I 
can't pronounce the gentleman's name, but the, 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 the CEO, basically. Well, why wouldn't he? He just paid $44 billion, billion with a B, for this company. And the reason he's buying is because he don't like the way it's being run. Well, the guy who runs it is this guy. So why wouldn't he fire? So that's not really a prediction. I mean, that's kind of a that's kind of a given. He's going to fire him without a doubt, and probably every other body, everybody else in leadership. So, I mean, that uh, once again, you got liberal fools that think that they know everything. So, but the the, the one prediction that that I really wanted to get to. His prediction says Donald Trump will return to Twitter along with a swarm, uh, a swarm like millions of other right-wing culture warriors. And I'm going to read an excerpt here of, of the article. It says that will happen almost immediately. And yes, Mr. Trump will come back to Twitter if he's invited, no matter how much fun he's having on Truth Social. But Mr. Musk replatforming will extend far beyond the former president. A host of right-wing culture warriors could come back to the service with Mr. Musk's blessing, including those who were barred for expressing hateful views, spreading false conspiracy theories, and harassing other users. Who's the one that said that they were spreading false conspiracy theories or hateful views? I mean, just because I have a view and you disagree with it, that doesn't mean it's hateful. And just because I don't believe something that you say doesn't mean it's a conspiracy theory. But this is the way the left works. It's the way the left works. So another prediction that he's got, it probably won't change the midterms, but 2024 could be the Elon election. Now listen to this. He goes on, he, he goes on to say, you know, he, if he buys it, then he's, he's okay for the midterms because he doesn't have enough time to really affect the midterm elections. He doesn't have, you know, enough time to get in there, make the changes that need to be made so that all these swarm of right-wing people can get on there and sway the election, right? So, but he says, the 2024 election, though, will be a different story. By then, if the deal is consummated... Mr. Musk will have been able to more fully mold Twitter in his own image. So right right there, he's telling you that he thinks of Elon Musk as a right-wing nut. Not somebody who, who literally sees that this company and corporation, and even Jack Dorsey's already said it, that they're biased. But... Not that he he wants to make it unbiased and, and make it an actual free speech where, hey, you can say what you want as long as you're not advocating violence and you're not on there threatening people and this, that, and the other. 
say it. It's up to the individual whether or not they believe you. But he says that platform could look radically different by then. More right, more right wing trolls, fewer guardrails against misinformation and extremism. So this guy, Kevin Roos, is that what I said? Yeah. He doesn't believe in free speech. He wants to get on the, in the New York Times and he wants to write his articles. And I'm sure he don't want no blowback against his articles because I'm sure he wants his view to be the right one. But it's articles like this and opinions like this that drive the right wing base. I mean, he's literally telling you Elon Musk is going to turn Twitter into a right wing propaganda machine. And it's completely the opposite. I mean, I, I like I said, I'm not on Twitter. But you can literally see in all the news articles that bring up Twitter posts and these comments were made and, and this person said this and da-da-da. It's truly a left-wing propaganda machine. It's like trying to watch MSNBC. Now, you know, I'm not against news. Hell, I watch CNN. But MSNBC is literally just drumming the left-wing propaganda to get it out to you. And they don't care if it's facts or if it's not facts. And we won't even go with the Russia collusion and the 16 election and all that good stuff. We'll, we'll get into that, but not, not now. But it's pretty clear that if Elon buys Twitter and the deal goes through, he's a centrist. And he said, he said such. He calls it out on both sides. But he doesn't think anybody ought to be banned if they haven't literally advocated violence against people or, or persons at all. And that, to me, is a true centrist. I mean, if, if he's going to allow Nancy Pelosi to get on there and say one thing, or President Biden, or anybody else on the left, AOC, whoever, <coughs> excuse me, why wouldn't he be able to, why shouldn't he have somebody on the right that has a different counterpoint. That's called debate. That's what the political system was set up for. Debate. Whose policies are better? Whose policies are, are good for my the economy? Whose policies are good for my family? 
And I'm not telling you to go out and vote Republican. I'm not telling you to go out and vote Democrat. I'm telling you to take into account what's going on now and where you was two years ago. And I don't mean the pandemic. I mean economically. Where was you two years ago? You know, I've got guys that I know that they look at their 401k and one of them made the comment to me the other day, and this was Saturday. This is the Wednesday, October the 5th, but this was Saturday. He looked at me. He said, oh my God, since Thursday, I've lost $40,000 in my 401k. That is not a lie. That is God's honest truth. I will never lie to you on this show. I promise you that. If it's not a fact, I won't say it. When I'm actually referring to something, an article, a comment that was made, something of that nature. And yes, this is my opinion. But if I bring up something, I'm bringing it up with facts. I'm not bringing it up with just an opinion, most of the time, my stuff can be backed up factually. But $40,000 in two days, that tells you where the economy's going. The GDP reports due out in about three weeks, and I guarantee you it's going to show another quarter of negative growth, that the economy has shrunk. Now, your standard definition of recession is two quarters. And, of course, you know, Biden and the left have said, no, that's not that, that's a technical definition, but we're not in a recession because hiring still up and this, that, and the other. What are they going to say when it's three straight? Are we in a recession now? I'm interested to see how they spin it. But anyway... We're going to call it a show for today. I will try to get back in a couple of days, um, post another episode. But like I said, if y'all have any questions or comments or suggestions or anything that, that y'all would like to you know hear discussed or my opinion on something, by all means, shoot an email, podcast at gmail.com. Once again, HMT podcast at gmail.com.